Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Good morning, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. Hope that everybody's had a good weekend so far. I don't know about you, but I am so ready for spring. You ready for spring? Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Well, if you were uh, with us last week, uh, you might remember we uh, concluded a six-week study in the book of Proverbs. Uh, That was a lot of fun. Uh, Next week, as Julie mentioned during the morning announcements, we have a uh, guest speaker, Doug Jensen. Uh, He's going to be coming to give us a missionary update with all the latest happenings in Cameroon. So that'll be exciting. Uh, It'll be great to see uh, Jackie Jensen as well and hear about all that the Lord has done in and through them. Uh, The week after that, as Julie also mentioned, we're going to be doing a new sermon series called The Seven Signs in John's Gospel. And that is going to take us all the way up until Easter Sunday. And by the way, we have some uh, bookmarks that are located next to the bulletins on the back tables as you walk in. You might have seen those. Uh, feel free to grab uh, a couple of those if you'd like. Um, so just want to encourage you with that. So today, I thought what we could do is we could take up an opportunity to draw our attention to Psalm 121. Uh, this is an amazing psalm in God's Word. Uh, it talks about how the Lord created the heavens and the earth and how uh, the Lord is our sole source of help. So always a timely reminder for that. It's also just a general declaration of trust in God as both the guardian and protector of our our life's journey. So I want you to be open to the possibility this morning that that your help comes from the Lord. There's going to be times in life where uh, we will be tempted to think that help is going to be found in other things, in other people, uh, whether it's work, whether it's money, whether it's in our marriage, in our families, or even ministry, or in self-discipline, self-empowerment, self-motivation. But those things, while they are good things, they're not a help that is powerful, efficient, and constant. That kind of help can only come from the Lord. And I think that's what we're going to discover this morning in Psalm 121. So I want, I want us to be open that that is who God is. That is where our help comes from. And I want you to take whatever anxiety, whatever stress that you carried in here this morning, whatever is just weighing heavy on you today, and my hope is that you'll be able to leave here just trusting in Him a little bit more, as well in the week that follows. If our help really does come from the Lord, if if God really is the maker of heaven and earth, then that ought to have profound implications in our lives as believers. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said this about the psalm that we're going to be looking at today. He said that there is an ascent in this psalm itself which rises to the greatest elevation of restful confidence. In other words, when you know in your heart that your help comes from the Lord, when you know that He is the maker of heaven and earth, what you find is a restful confidence. God wants that for you, and I want that for you as well. I know personally, uh, this uh, week, you know, I've just found so much 
uh, peace and so much rest in the grace of this psalm, just studying it and reading it over and over this week. Uh, when I look to other people, whether that be uh, my spouse or whether that's my son or my own uh, performance, when I look to other things for other people for help, for aid and guidance or support, even if they can help me, their help is not powerful, efficient, and constant because nothing and no one was designed to bear that kind of weight. Only the Lord can. The Lord is where our help comes from. Psalm 121 tells us, by way of Old Testament Hebrew poetry, uh, in a very impassioned and vivid, concrete way, look, help comes from the Lord. Help only comes from above. To look for help anywhere else is vain and hopeless. So that's why today's message is going to be so important. Uh, That's why uh, I think the next 30 minutes is going to be worth your time, uh, because that's what's at stake. If we miss the message behind Psalm 121, we might try to convince ourselves that we can find help somewhere else. And what the psalmist would tell us is that that is a hopeless and futile endeavor, that that is a hopeless undertaking. Uh, The psalmist wants to spare us that misery this morning and instead help us to see that God, that the Lord, is where help is found. Uh, One of the clearest ways, by the way, to see the hope that Jesus provides is in these what we call Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent uh, consist of Psalms 120 through 134. Uh, They're called Psalms of Ascent because the Israelites would sing them as they traveled from their homes and ascended to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to observe feast uh, with a posture of hope. Uh, These trips would often take a long time. They were hard on the Israelites' bodies. And they would often be subject to thieves and robbers along the way. And as they made their journey, and as it grew in difficulty, they would sing these psalms of ascent to remind them of a couple things. Number one is who God is, His character and His attributes. But also, secondly, of God's promises. What God has done for them and what God has promised to do for them as well. Which brings us to Psalm 121 this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there with me. I want to give you four critical truths for the journey. Let's look at the first one together. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. In Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, the first critical truth that we have to get our heads around this morning is to rest in God as Creator. To rest in God as Creator. Notice what the psalmist says. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So looking at the coming mountains, or depending on what Bible translation you're using, it might say hills, the pilgrim, the traveler, asks, where does my help come from? There's actually a couple different views on what these mountains, these hills, represent for the traveler. Uh, The first view is that he is anticipating danger. Uh, For example, uh, thieves, outlaws, who would be hiding, waiting to rob him in the hills. Or the second view could be that he is anticipating that the mountains, in other words, the hills, represent a place of safety and security. Uh, Many of us see the hills as a place of safety and security for the pilgrim because we typically associate God with being higher for some reason. And maybe that's because of TV and movies, 
we might be tempted to think that the higher up we go, <laughs> the closer we are to God, but that's simply not true. It kind of sounds funny to even say, really, but, but I think that we get that from the movies and TV a lot. God is what theologians often call omnipresent. Right? That's a fancy way of saying that He exists everywhere at all times. But sometimes we do that, don't we? We associate God with being higher. Reading this week, I was persuaded that the psalmist means that the hills represent trouble. Not safety and security, but trouble. Uh, There was often, as I mentioned, outlaws and bandits who would hide in these hills. And as the pilgrims would set out on their journey, they knew that there was a possibility of danger in these mountains, in these hills. So as he looks at the hills, he asks, from where does my help come from? Right, to safely arrive home from the journey. And for us here, right, this winter season of 2022, we can easily think the same thing. Where does my help come from? If you're in school, you might have that big test that's coming up. Uh, for some of us, you might be in a season of life where there are health concerns. You might have a family conflict in your life. Uh, for some of you, you might be facing stress about how you're going to pay for something. Whatever it is, the first thing that the psalmist would tell us to do is to develop a restful and hopeful heart by resting in God as your creator. So what does that look like, to rest in God as creator? Well, the psalmist knows that God is the creator of everyone and everything. And therefore, the psalmist knows that God created the mountains, the hills that he fears and as God is sovereign, in other words, He is, has total control of all of His creation, God is able to effortlessly change, adapt, and alter the plans of any outlaw or bandit in the hills. God's sovereignty as creator also has no limit. That help that God provides is a help that is powerful, efficient, and constant, and it's a very present help in trouble. One theologian famously said about God's sovereignty, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. God is powerful. This truth would give the traveler, the pilgrim, hope for his journey, and it should give us rest for our life journey as well. Psalm 131, which is another psalm of ascent, says this in verse 2, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. This is what resting in God looks like. It is a calm and quieted soul. So how do we do this practically? Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, what does it practically look like to rest in God? Right? Because remember, like we said, these songs of ascent were sung as the Israelites traveled to Mount Zion. And therefore, they were singing to themselves along the way constantly. I think this ability to remind ourselves of who God is, whether it be through song or whether it's preaching to ourselves, I think that is a really, really powerful method. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his book on spiritual depressions, He talks about the importance of talking to yourself or singing to yourself. Listen to what he says. I say that we must talk to ourselves 
instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Do you realize what that means? I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of worry in the midst of a trial or stress is that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in the matter. Have you realized that most of your worry in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself? Have you ever tried that? I do this from time to time. Sometimes it's the serenity prayer. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I was in recovery, so that was something that has always stuck with me. When I'm trying to, when Amanda's working, my wife, when she works, and I'm just trying to put the groceries away, and my 18-month-old is running around the house, right, crying with one sock on and a full diaper, I'll just stop and I'll just say, God, like just out loud, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Sometimes I'll do that because God is sovereign. He is in control. He is the one who sustains me. And I think when we remind ourselves of who God is, it's a way that we can develop a restful heart. Meditate. Sing truths to yourselves of who God is in our everyday moments of life. So critical truth number one is resting in God as your creator. Here's the second one. Trust God's promise that we won't slip. Trust God's promise that we won't slip. Uh, as we get into verse 3, I want you to notice something. I'm going to put our nerd hat on for a second. Uh, as we get into verse 3, I want you to notice that the grammar that the psalmist uses changes from the first person to the second person. It's like going back to high school again, right? English class. What that tells us, though, is that there is a second person in the psalm. And this second person is responding to the first person which is really awesome, I think, because this person is agreeing with the other person, agreeing that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. But then we see another attribute of God that's being added here. Not only that, but not one, but two promises that he can cling to in the midst of the journey to Mount Zion. And the first thing that we, uh, the first is in the beginning of verse three, he will not let your foot slip. Some of your translations might say, will not let your foot be moved. But mine says foot slip, so let's talk about that a little bit. I don't know about you, but slipping is the worst, especially on the ice. I don't know if you've ever slipped before, uh, but one of my vivid memories was playing out on my grandfather's frozen pond. Uh, sometimes me and my cousins, we'd go out there with ice skates on. Other times we would just go out there with our shoes, which I would do not recommend doing that. Uh, one time I remember slipping and landing on my back, and it knocked the wind right out of me. It's an awful feeling if you've ever experienced that. Just the immediate feeling of your diaphragm just being paralyzed uh, knocked the wind out of me. Not only that, but it was, it was painful, but it was also embarrassing, too, uh, because other people saw it happen. So, so slipping can be painful, but it can also be embarrassing. But slipping for these travelers in Bible times, it could have been fatal for them. So if you envision this promise in this passage, the promise would be huge for this pilgrim, for this traveler. You're going on this long journey, and God is promising you that your foot will not be moved on the path. 
He's promising you that He will uphold you and keep stable His people. For us, for believers in Christ, and I don't want to assume that everyone here would say that they are a believer in Christ, but for those of us who would say, yes, I'm a Christian, for us, Jesus promises a similar perseverance. He promises us that followers of Jesus will endure until the end. Uh, The theological term for this, uh, we would call it the perseverance of the saints. And many of you know what that is. Uh, Meaning that those who follow Jesus will continue to follow Jesus until they die. People sometimes ask that question, can a follower of Jesus lose his or her salvation? Now, there are people who are involved in church or ministry, but later fall away and they don't believe in Christianity anymore. There's tons of examples like that for sure, but the scriptures are abundantly clear to say that those people did not make a genuine decision to follow Christ or else they would not have left him. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So anyone who says they follow Jesus, but then leaves him, we're not genuinely following him to begin with. Can a follower of Jesus lose their salvation? Absolutely not. And here's why. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, I give them life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So the answer is no. Why is the answer no? It's because Jesus will keep them. The question is not, can a follower of Jesus lose their salvation? The question is, can Jesus lose a follower? And again, the answer to that is absolutely not. Your foot will not slip. Your foot will not be moved. You will make it till the end. And this promise should be on our lips and our minds so often. So practically speaking, tomorrow morning, what does this look like that God will keep you? That your foot will not slip? A couple ways I think you can do this. Number one is to pray often. Jesus, keep my foot from slipping. But then secondly, sing to Jesus. Sing to Jesus. You may not have a singing voice. You may not like to sing. But sing songs about not slipping, about enduring and making it in the long haul. I love this hymn, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. My guess is a lot of you are familiar with that hymn, but just, just look at how beautiful these words are. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold. Uh, I feel like I can resonate with that so much. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. My friends, hold as he will. The reason I follow Jesus today is because he has held me from day one. And he will hold you as well. Another thing you can do is remind a friend of this promise this week, that your foot will not slip As long as you're in Christ, as long as you are pursuing God, your foot will not slip. He will not let your foot move. Again, I love the grammar change in verse 3 because what we have here is a friend reminding another friend of a promise of God. So I don't know where you're at, right? But if 
or somebody you know as a student, like if you're in class, encourage a friend with that this week. Hey, Psalm 121, did you know the Bible says that he will not let your foot slip? I encourage you to be a reminder. So just to recap, number one, a critical truth is to rest in God as creator. Number two is trust God's promise that we won't slip. Number three is this, rest in God as the comforting keeper. Rest in God as the comforting keeper. Continuing on the second part of verse 3, it says, He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Uh, the Hebrew word for uh, this word watch or, or to, to keep is repeated here six times. Uh, it can be translated a bunch of different ways. Uh, guardian, preserver, protector. Notice in verse 5 it says that God is our shade, which is this idea of a, a f- refreshment or a comfort in the midst of the journey. In each case, the Scripture is telling us that God's children, in other words, those who follow Jesus, are both corporately and individually kept by God. And then the question becomes, how often does the Lord keep His people? How often does God guard His people? How often does God watch His people? Anytime something is repeated in the Bible, we need to slow down because God is trying to communicate something very critical to us this morning. The psalmist wants us to see that this is such a consoling truth that it's worth repeating. Notice in verse 3, again, it says, He who keeps you will not slumber. Right? He who watches you. Verse 4, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And then the psalmist drives this even deeper to show us that God is always watching, always caring, always protecting His people. In verse 6, he says, The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night has this idea that from sun up to sun down, God is open 24-7. He's always watching you. In verse 8, notice, the psalmist says, the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. In other words, from the time that you leave for work in the morning until the time that you come home and when you go to sleep at night, God is caring, God is guarding, God is preserving, God is protecting you. And notice it says, both now and forevermore. God is promising from right now and forever, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to guard you. When you think about God as always watching you, uh, I have to try to avoid this. Don't think about the creepy Christmas song. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Why is Santa watching you? He, He cares whether you're good or bad. But that's not why God is watching you. God is not keeping tabs on whether you've behaved today or not. God is watching you as a dear father wants to care for his children, who wants his children to love him, to enjoy his presence, and choose him above all else. And he also wants to be like shade, like verse 5 mentions, a comfort, a refreshment to your soul. So again, these critical truths, number one is to rest in God as creator. Number two is to trust God's promise that we won't slip. Number three is to rest in God as the comforting keeper. Now here's the fourth, final one. 
trust in God's promise to keep us from evil. In verse 7, notice the psalmist says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Guys, I can just tell you, since the time that I've become a follower of Jesus, right, it's like 2012, 2011, I've spoken to people who also know, love, and follow Jesus, and I've also spoken to people who are quite skeptical about Christianity. But I think any honest person who reads Psalm 121, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm, anybody who reads that will have a significant question about that promise. Any honest person who reads that will have a question about that. If God promises to keep us from all evil, why can I point to people in this room this morning, people who are going through incredibly hard seasons in life, followers of Jesus who are going through really difficult times, why is that possible? Does this promise mean that nothing bad will ever happen to followers of Jesus? Certainly not. No one is exempt from difficulty in life. Loved ones die, businesses close, relationships end, and the list goes on and on and on. So anytime we get to a portion of Scripture that seems to be inconsistent, it's really, really helpful to just take a step back and look at what the full breadth of God's Word says about a particular verse. So let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Jesus makes a charge to His disciples in Luke chapter 21, verse 18. He says, But not a hair of your head will perish. Similar kind of promise, right? The Lord will keep you from all evil. Not a hair on your head will perish. But if we're reading this in context, notice what Jesus says just two verses before, verse 16 of Luke 21. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, they will put some of you to death. So how do you have this combination of not a hair on your head will be touched, right? Not a hair of your head will perish, but also some of you will be martyred. How do you, how do you balance that combination? In the book of James, he's writing to a group of people who have di been dispersed for persecution. They were experiencing for being followers of Jesus. This is how he begins his letter, introducing himself and the first thing that James says is, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. How about this one? In the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We see it in the Old Testament as well. Uh, from Genesis, chapter 37 to chapter 50, the story of Joseph. We did a whole series on this not too long ago. The story of Joseph is basically this. He's despised by his family. He's thrown into a pit. He's stripped and sold into slavery by his brothers. He's accused of doing something that he didn't do. All through this, God is with him. And then God elevates him to this high position in Pharaoh's house where he's actually able to save the brothers who sold him into slavery. And this is how Joseph sums up his experience in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And remember, this is, he just went through tons of pain and suffering. Notice what he says, though. You intended harm. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now think about Jesus now. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to go to the cross. He's praying, Father, if there is any way 
that you can take this cup from me because Jesus knows what he's about to bear. He's about to bear the wrath of God for all men. And he says, Father, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me, please show me how. Jesus is about to experience evil, but evil does not have the last word. Because it's through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he's able to give us salvation. It's through evil. It's through evil that he experiences that and he accomplishes salvation for humanity. For all who trust and follow him. So evil will not have the last word for Jesus and evil will not have the last word for us either. Because in God's economy, the bad and the difficult and the evil are all allowed by God from the vantage point of eternity. And it will be apparent that God allowed evil to defeat evil. So does Psalm 121 verse 7 promise an easy and cushioned life? Absolutely not. But it is a promise of a well-armed life. It's a life that can face anything with King Jesus. It's a life that will be kept from all ultimate evil. So if you're going through suffering this morning, what can you do? Well, here's four questions that you might ask. Number one is this, is God sovereign? And I think from what we've learned from these passages this morning is that absolutely God is sovereign. But then secondly, could he have prevented blank from happening? Well, absolutely, God is sovereign. Number three, did he prevent this trial from happening? A lot of times the answer is no. Number four, what is he trying to teach you? This is, this is where we have to live in suffering. And here's why we have to wrestle in suffering. Sometimes we will get an answer to that question, but sometimes the answer to that question will take being in eternity. We will only know the answer on the other side of heaven, why some suffering was permitted. But one thing I know is this, and some of you really need to hear this today. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust the one who gave you his son. You can trust the one who gave you himself on the cross. He loves you, and he's with you. And he is well acquainted with what you're going through. He understands exactly where you're at. I love this quote from Alistair Begg. He says this, At the very heart of Christianity, in Christianity alone, we don't have a God on a dead chair, but we have a God on a cross who is well acquainted with suffering and able to sympathize with those in pain. I want to invite the band up again and as they're getting settled in, let me just close with some final thoughts here. I don't know what kind of hills, what kind of mountains that you're facing right now or what you will face in this life. Uh, this might be, for some of you, this might just be a miserable season that you're in. Family can be tough. Health stuff can be tough. Life is difficult. I don't know what hill or mountain is coming for you. But this much I do know. 
a restful heart, it is possible when we rest in God as our creator, maker of heaven and earth. A restful heart is possible when we trust in his promise that he will not let your foot slip. A restful heart is possible when we rest in him as the comforting keeper. And it is possible to have a restful heart when we trust God's promises to keep you from all evil. That much I do know. Let's pray together. Lord, we just come before you this morning and we just want to acknowledge your presence. Lord, we just want to acknowledge that you are the maker of heaven and earth. And Lord, we also just want to confess to you and ask forgiveness for all the times where we have not held tightly to that truth that we can always answer that question, where does my help come from? Well, my help comes from the Lord. And sometimes we've gone to other people, gone to other things to find help, but that help will always be insufficient from the help that only you can provide, Lord. Sometimes we go to ourself for help, and that ends up being the same way, sometimes worse. So, Lord, forgive us for our inconsistencies of going to you, to seeing you as the ultimate hope and help. But, God, we thank you so much for the reminder in Psalm 121 this morning that, that we see that you are our help. Our help comes from you. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, help us to go about our weeks to remember that truth, to encourage other people with that truth that he will not let your foot slip. Help us to rest in your grace this week, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.